Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Kenneth Hawk, in his book, Don't Sing Songs to a Heavy Heart, warns against the human temptation to say something in the midst of pain and of tragedy. Generally, these things that we say are with all the best intentions. We just want people to feel better about the suffering that they are experiencing. But he warns us that oftentimes in the face of tragedy, our words of comfort will fall flat. We are like Job's friends who sit there and try to tell him all the things that he did wrong. And that is what is causing his suffering. The most important thing we can do, he says, is to sit in the midst of someone's pain. My theology professor and seminary, Tony Baker, said that explanations of evil and suffering are the soil for heresy. In other words, we have this, um, our, our own need and anxiety around trying to explain why is it that sometimes bad things happen to good people? So we end up trying to say something rather than the thing that we really should do. And this is what the book of Habakkuk is largely about. It's a theodicy. It is dealing with the question of why is there suffering and evil in the world. The prophet wants to know how can we believe in a God when it is clear that evil and suffering exists? Right? If God is good, why doesn't God just do away with all of the bad stuff? Anybody ever find themselves asking this very question? If God is so powerful and God is so knowledgeable, how can evil and suffering and pain continue? The book opens with a prophet crying out with this very question. Sometimes prophets are yelling at the people. Right? The last two weeks we've heard from the prophet Amos. Amos wants to know why it is that you people sit there and gather up the, 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 the wheat that has fallen to the ground that's supposed to be what the poor can come and gather and eat for themselves, and instead, you gather it up and you sell it. The prophet Amos is yelling at the people, how is it that you can just sit there and watch just one more TV show, drink huge amounts of wine, feast on all this food, lay around, and you don't even see what's going on? Right? Amos is sitting there yelling at us, but Habakkuk is part of a prophetic tradition which turns those questions not to us, what's wrong with you all, but what is wrong with God? Oof. How many people have ever wanted to say, God, what the heck are you thinking? <laughs> Justin, I ask that question about you all the time. And the response that he gets, that the prophet receives, is not satisfactory. 
And what's interesting is, is in the midst of this unsatisfactory response, Habakkuk makes this resolution that we hear. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me. The prophet doesn't just throw in the towel just because God's answer seems and sounds unjust. God's initial answer is offensive to him. But he refuses to be offended by God. He takes his stands. He sets his eyes on the horizon and waits. At the end of this book, after all of these protests against God, the prophet says this, Though the fig tree will not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines. The produce of the olive will fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock cut off from the fold, and there may be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. So the goodness of the Lord for Habakkuk in the end is not in the fruit that is bared, but because God is God. I will take my joy And the God of my salvation, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer. He makes me tread in high places. One author says that the book of Habakkuk begins with the crying anguish and it ends with the solemn resolve. For this prophet, knowing God's character is sufficient reason to trust even even when, in our opinion, God is not doing what God should do. Maybe like you, maybe like me, excuse me, you have seen the devastation and destruction of Ian, and you're sitting there going, how does this happen? David Bentley Hart, several years ago, wrote a book called The Doors of the Sea, in which he goes and he looks um, at a tsunami which devastated an entire country. And trying to answer these very questions of pain and suffering. Right, if you go to a doctor and you're diagnosed with a life-threatening disease, what you want to know is in the end, can this thing be beaten? Right, we can sit there and we can explain all the ways and why the disease may have occurred, but in the end we want to know what is it that we can do about the suffering. In the face of tragedy, secularists will often ask Christians, where is your God? You sit there and you say, God is so good, God is so great, well then why isn't God showing up? And it's this very question that Lieutenant Dan asks in Forrest Gump as the hurricane hits the shrimp boat. Lieutenant Dan is up on the top of the mast screaming and yelling. For Hart in his book, The Doors of the Sea, the answer is not so much why, but what significance does pain and suffering have? Because ultimately, as we heard in this letter to Timothy today, that in Christ Jesus, in his death and in his resurrection, sin and evil have been defeated. Hart assures us that God did not enter into creation. God did not become human in the person of Jesus Christ just to simply disclose who he is. Like, look, I'm God. Aren't you all happy? 
but rather to break the very boundaries of fallen nature, of brokenness, of sin, of suffering, to enter into our own human suffering. Jesus is one who, like the prophet, cried out, my God, my God, why have you forgotten me? And rather, Jesus goes and breaks the bonds that evil and sin and death has on us to refashion creation after the beauty it was supposed to have. A beauty where sin and death will have no place and make no sense. The driving force for Christianity for much of its history has been in this trust of the infinite beauty and the goodness of God. That God is not first and foremost a tool for us to get a happier and better life, but God is beauty. God is truth. God is grace. God is justice. Those are not things that, that exist separate from God. They are the being of God. Evil and sin are not tools used by a loving God to demonstrate the beauty of salvation. Rather, they are the things that blind us to God's reality. So God does not go out there and harm somebody in order for them to sit there and go, Oh, you know, I really need to, to get right with God. No, things happen that are not of God. And that's sort of the quandary that we face sometimes. Hart goes on in his book, and he says that our faith is in a God who has come to rescue his creation from the absurdity of sin, the emptiness of death. And so we are permitted to hate these things with perfect hatred. For while Christ takes the suffering of his creatures up into his own, it is not because he... Or they were in need of suffering. But because he would not abandon his creatures to the grave. In other words, God refused to allow evil and sin and suffering to win. Because they are not God's. In today's gospel reading, we hear the disciples asking this question to Jesus. Jesus, give us more faith. It's a common response that we often have to suffering, particularly in the religious culture of Tulsa, Oklahoma. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, if you had more faith, then God could heal or solve this problem, making us the obstacle to God. But we are not the obstacle to God because the suffering is not God. The pain is not God. The evil is not God. So many times I have sat with people who are in the midst of their suffering and they're asking me this question, why? The very question that the prophet asks in today's reading. And if the prophet can sit there and say, God, why, then why can't we? Why can we not be ones who sit there and say, God, you're un." You're unjust in this action. God, you are not doing what I thought you should do. That those are not the opposite of a statement of faith, but they are the grounds of faith. That it is okay 
for us to sit there and ask the questions of why. And even to say, God, you are a jerk. Now, I'm not going to nerd out on the Greek. I'm not an engineer like Deacon Bill here. But the Greek in this gospel lesson makes clear that we have all the faith that we need. The if that Jesus talks about is not an if. Well, you know, if you would just take on the seven-point plan for more faith, then you could defeat all these things. Jesus is saying if, or in other words, since you have all the faith that you need, you don't need anything else. Quit asking for more faith. You have the faith. Explanations of evil, suffering are always going to be unsatisfying to us. We don't need more faith. We do not lack. What we really need to know is that evil, suffering, pain, the experiences that we often have in this world will not have the final word. That in the face of evil, we will not see God's purpose, but we see God's enemy. Amen. Thank you.